0: I've been asked to read the passage that uh, Marvin will part of the passage that Marvin will be speaking from. And uh, we're in the Gospel of John. Why Jesus? And uh, today we're looking at John chapter five. Marvin is looking at the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read the first 13 verses if you're using the Pew Bible, page 753. Sometime later, John, uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem with one of the Jewish, uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called and uh, which is surrounded by five colonnades. There a great number of disabled people used to lie, the lame, uh, the blind, and the paralyzed. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there The man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. I kind of interject there, ouch, the Sabbath. And I think maybe that might come up in our discussion this morning. And as the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow that told you to pick up, uh, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I'm sure the Lord will bless us this morning as Marvin comes and opens his wor- the word and uh, preaches to us this morning. Marvin, why don't you come?
1: Well, good e- good morning, friends, and uh, thank you, Paul, for uh, being up here and introducing me. And uh, it's great to see all of you this morning here in this room, in the cafe, and online. So wherever you are this morning, hope you got your Bible with you. Uh, keep it open there to John chapter five. We're going to look through this. Uh, the title of our messages this month. Let me just get this called up here. see here, guys. Tell her. Whoops. I think it went to sleep on me here. Let's just see if we can get it up here. There we go. All right, here we go. Uh, this, the title of the series is Why Jesus? Now, if you're a little tired already and you've come worn out and you want to take a f- siesta while I'm speaking, here's the deal. I'm going to give you the big idea. And then we're going to talk about what that big idea plays out, all right? So the big idea of this message is that only Jesus can break through the blindness of religion and give you freedom and a future, amen? Only Jesus can do that. And we see that so appropriately in this passage this morning. It's interesting to me, the, 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 uh, the question why Jesus, when I was given this message, uh, a uh, series of messages and uh, told I was going to fit in here. I thought a lot about that, you know, asking good questions is a big part of mentoring. As some of you well know that i that's, that's what I do with most of my life. I meet with individual men on and off and then I do seminars on mentoring and one of the skills <coughs> that we talk about a lot in mentoring is learning how to ask good questions and listening appropriately, so you can ask good questions. You understand, listening well comes before asking good questions. You all understand that. Uh, The men are looking at me like, I don't get what you're talking about. Well, just think about when you come home, and your wife starts talking to you, and you're kind of listening, but you're not really paying attention. And then she says, you didn't hear a thing I just said. And of course, you go, oh, yeah, of course I did, of course I did. And she says, well, tell me what I said. You ever had that happen, men? You must have nice wives. My wife does that to me all the time. And of course, then I'm in big trouble. I think you said, you know, because I didn't listen well, and therefore I couldn't even understand her question. And in this passage, it's interesting to me about some of the questions that come out of this passage under that title of Why Jesus. For instance, We could ask the question like, why, Jesus, did you do this? We'll do that at the start. At the end, I want to ask the question, why Jesus is the only one that can solve this problem? In between, we're going to see the heart of the issue is, who is Jesus? You get the idea? So why would Jesus do this? Now, the Bible said that he went from Galilee, because that's kind of the pattern of his life. He spent most of his time in the north, up around the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum, Nazareth, where he's from. He'd come from Galilee down to Jerusalem to a feast. Uh, Some of the texts say the feast, which would mean probably the Passover, because that was the main feast. We don't know for sure. But he'd made a cycle. He'd just gone back to Galilee. If it was the feast, probably a year later he went down to this occasion. So here comes Jesus, and for some reason, he zeroed in on this pool called Bethesda. I have no idea. Do you have an idea why Jesus chose to go there? He may have gone some other places first. We don't know, but the story sounds like he comes to Jerusalem, goes to that place. All right? You all got the picture. And he shows up, and he sees all these people lying around this pool, hoping they would be the one that would enter into the pool quickly enough after the water was troubled so they'd be healed. Now, there's lots of speculation whether that actually happened or not or it was a psychosomatic thing, we don't know, but that was the thinking. If I could get in the pool first, I'd be healed. And here's a man, 38 years. How many of you have ever been in the hospital for a week? Let me see your hands. All right, just a few of you. How good are your legs after a week lying in the hospital? If you haven't been out of bed, maybe just been sick that long, maybe longer. Anybody that's been laid up for a period of time realizes how quickly your muscles deteriorate, right? So here's a man, 38 years. Is it any wonder why he had a hard time getting in the pool first? I don't know how many of you have been watching this series that's been put out called The Chosen. How many of you seen seen The Chosen? And have you seen that episode? and you see the man trying to get there and he can't, he can't and he's, he's actually at a place of total despair and Jesus walks up to him and says can you imagine the question he asked like isn't this kind of bizarre do you want to get well now if you were lying there for 38 years and a guy that you didn't know walks in kind of maybe looked a little bit like a rabbi and said do you want to get well what would your answer be tell me what would your answer be no. Someone say no. <laughs> well, at least that person's awake. Anyway. <laughs> Your answer would probably be yes. yes. He doesn't say yes, does he? He just gives an excuse why he's not well. I just can't get in there in time. and So that was his answer. He didn't know it was Jesus. This wasn't an expression of faith. This wasn't a sense in which there is a divine encounter going to happen in his life at that moment. You get the point? Jesus walks in and says, do you want to be well? And he gives the, And so Jesus says to him, okay, you want to get well? Take up your bed and walk. And then we have this big, ominous statement. It was on the Sabbath, right? On the Sabbath, he takes up his bedroll, he puts it over his shoulder, he starts walking, and who does he bump into? the text calls it the Jews, probably the religious leaders of that day, and they say to him, why are you working on the Sabbath? Because that's what it looks like, right? You're carrying your bed on the Sabbath? That's like work, right? So here's an interesting, intriguing thing to me. Why would Jesus keep a feast, right, but not keep the Sabbath? You get the question? Why, Jesus? Would you keep a feast... But not the Sabbath. Have you wrestled that one to the ground? It seems paradoxical, doesn't it? That Jesus would make it's like over a three day walking journey from up north, down south, very treacherous at times. They had to take their life in their hands because they're robbers and bandits. Had to go around Samaria, right? Couldn't go through Samaria this time. He'd done that once before. you follow what I'm saying why would you do that Jesus and here's the point this morning he wanted to show the difference between keeping what God had said versus what man had added to what God had said do you hear what I'm saying friends Do you understand shake your head if you understand the difference between doing what God had clearly said and what religious leaders had added to what God had said The Sabbath was made for man. That's what Jesus said. It's a rhythm in life. If you haven't learned how to practice the Sabbath in your life, you're probably like me. Do you have a day set aside in your weekly rhythm where it's set aside not to do nothing, but to focus your attention on Jesus and what he's done for you? And to do things that build you up mentally, emotionally, and physically. To take a break from the regular routine of your life. That's what the Sabbath was made for. You remember when God created, he created everything in six days. Man was on the sixth day, and then he rested on the Sabbath. And then the first day after that, man began to work. The reason the Sabbath was established is so that you would get a day in order that you're refreshed so you can work. Most of us in our society do it the reverse, right? We work hard all week so we get a weekend off, so we can kind of rest up. That's not the way God designed it. You work out of the Sabbath, not in order to get a Sabbath. That's the way God designed it. But unfortunately, this is what happened. Religion got in the way. And all of a sudden, all kinds of people made all kinds of additional rules, like you can't carry your bed after you've been healed on the sabbath do you realize there are hundreds of these rules and the people were supposed to keep them all and you had the religious police that were watching to see if they were keeping it all you see the the context here the paradox why would jesus keep a feast but not keep the sabbath He was keeping the Sabbath the way God designed it was to be helpful for mankind. But he wasn't keeping one of the peculiar rules. Later on in Luke, the Gospel of Luke one time, Jesus points out to the religious people, you know what? If you had an animal and it fell into a ditch and hurt itself on the Sabbath, what would you do? Of course, they had to answer. Honestly, the question The answer to the question was, I would care for the animal. I would look after it. So it wasn't like God designed the Sabbath to do nothing, but had a focus to it. All these things were added. So when Jesus heals the man, tells him to take up his bed and walk, what he was doing to answer the question, why Jesus? Why would you do that, Jesus? Why would you do such a thing? It looks like you're contradicting what you've already initiated. In the fourth commandment, you said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Why would you do this? The answer is to break through in a very clear way into the environment in which he's now going to minister. Break through with this understanding. Man-made rules will not do it. You understand that? Jesus wanted his followers to keep God's actual commandments, not the man-made additions. Now, I want to talk to you just just for a minute, very honestly. I grew up in an old order Mennonite culture. And I want to say this very carefully because maybe some folks from that culture are listening or other cultures like it. And then after my parents got saved through the life of this church, back when it was in... Heidelberg, I mean uh, Hawksville there was a freedom came into our family but then we got involved with a kind of another religious legalistic kind of group I know what it is to try to break through all the rules and regulations that well meaning people put on us as part of what it is to be a godly person in fact I remember talking to my grandfather my dad's father and many many occasions. He could not in any way believe that you didn't have to keep the rules of the church in order to know you're going to get to heaven. Yeah, they preached you got saved by faith in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. But you had to keep all these rules in order to make sure you knew you were going to be a a member of the family of God in heaven. He wrestled with that. I remember his as Paul mentioned, I worked for his uncle, Amos, who was an elder here in this church for years. And we had, we had a neighbor. And uh, Amos had a dairy farm. He put in a stable cleaner. And uh, the neighbor came over and he looked at it. He said, man, this is really great. No more loading all that manure into a litter carrier or wheelbarrow and wheeling it out to the... This is good. So without asking the elders of the church, he put a stable cleaner in his barn. And they gave him an ultimatum. Either take the stable cleaner out or you can't be a member of this church anymore. I know that's true. I was there. I saw it. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's so easy. It could happen in this church. Amen? All of a sudden you start thinking, unless we do certain things certain ways... We can't be sure that we're really closely aligned with Jesus. We may not even make it. I mean, when I was growing up, it was things like how long was your hair? Could girls wear blue jeans in church? The kind of music that was sung, all these rules and regulations that were brought by well-meaning religious people into a system of grace and liberty. Because that's what Jesus wants to bring to our lives. He wants to break through all that. Do you follow what I'm saying? So the question, why, Jesus, would you do that, very much was he wanted people. He wants you to understand, as a follower of Jesus, learn carefully what are God's actual commandments. Follow them. And don't get caught up with all this man-made stuff that gets added to it. Because when you do, you come into a certain kind of bondage. Here are some of the things I've learned that happen with man-made additions. Man-made additions are burdensome. Would you agree with that? It's a burden. How do you know if you're doing everything you're supposed to? It's a kind of legalism that's so deadly. It just burdens you down. It's interesting in Matthew 23 Jesus talks to the religious leaders about this very issue and he says to them very, I mean very strongly he condemned this, whoops did I do something here guys? I hit the table and went off okay there it came back we just had a rapture I think right? (laughs) Um, Jesus said with huge energy, let's just put it that way, he's angry about what they were doing that the reason you are a legalist is because you minor or you major on the minors, not on the majors. That's what does it to you. You start spending attention to minor things. They become the focus of your life instead of the major things of the grace and goodness of God. We just sang that, right, didn't we? I will sing of the goodness of God. Are you doing that or are you minoring in on, oh, this person, that person, this thing, And Jesus said, and then he said, the end result of that is you're like the blind leading the blind. Do you remember him saying that? What man-made rules do when they're added to good things is they add burdens, which eventually produce legalism, which causes blindness. Not only that, they're very confusing. How do you ever know you kept all the rules right? And so all of us live hypocritical lives. I don't like to be called a hypocrite, but I can tell you many years in my life I was. Probably still am in some ways, right? When there's rules, how do you ever know you've kept them all right? What one did you miss? You just told someone else to do something and you're not doing it yourself, right? All that kind of stuff. Hypocrisy is just birthed out of this kind of belief and system. And then the blindness, I already mentioned that. But friends, I just want to tell you, I say this with great love. Be very careful about the religious systems that started well but added all this stuff and now have caused people to be blind to the simple truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. The confusion is everywhere. Would you agree with that? Everywhere. And here's part of the problem. Because we tend to have that kind of legalistic approach sometimes in our lives, people look at us and say, I wouldn't want to be part of that. I couldn't keep all the rules. Doesn't make any sense to me. You say this, you do that. I was a pastor for 10 years in an area where there were a lot of people that belonged to very strong religious churches. Churches. And I can't tell you how many times people would say to me, I think I know that businessman because I do business with him. I think he goes to church on Sunday, not our church, but another church. But the way he does business during the week doesn't seem at all like what the Bible says a person should be like. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's so easy to slip into this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of uh, a belief system that is just deadly. So this is why Jesus was talking to them. He wanted them to break through. Yes, there was a thing called the Sabbath. But it was made for man. Not to be an onerous addition with all kinds of rules. The second thing we see in this passage is that there's only one way to really break through it all only one way and Jesus moves from stating that simple truth in a very profound way without ever saying words right he didn't say words he just did something he healed a person told them to do something and that made all the religious leaders mad in fact the bible says they began to persecute him for this i wish i knew what kind of persecution it was and how long it had happened before the rest of the story goes on but anyway as jesus moved forward He then began to talk to these religious leaders. And in the midst of it, this profound truth came out. Just look at verse 24 and 25 there in the text for a minute. This is, to me, the the climax of the whole story. Verse 24 and 25 of John 5. Verily, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word believes on him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has has crossed over from death to life very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come hear that it's coming but it's now come the kingdom had come and it is there and it's now with us when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live Whether he was talking about an actual physical resurrection like he did with Lazarus or with the widow of Nain's son, we're not sure. But we do know when you actually hear the words of Jesus and you believe on the Father who sent me, here is the promise. You will cross the line from death to life. Your life will be transformed. It will be changed forever. Now, Jesus was saying this in the context of establishing that he and the Father were one. And so that's what the text around there is, a passage right around there. Jesus is actually talking about how God the Father and God the Son had such an intimate relationship. It was like Father-Son. There is the Sonship of Jesus at stake. And so if you notice in some of the verses there between 19 and 24, verses 19 and 24, in verse 19 he says, the Son is dependent on the Father. That's what he says. The son is dependent on the father. Here, I got to get my up here so I can say. Jesus gave him this answer. So these are the guys who are yelling at him, persecuting him because he's making himself equal with God. You see the point? They're upset enough about what he did on the Sabbath, but what really really made them angry was he claimed to be God equal with God so in verse 19 he says very truly I tell you the son can do nothing by himself he can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does the son also does so here he says we are one in the sense that I am totally dependent on the father I never act apart from the father's will and purpose the Father sent Jesus into the world to seek and save lost people, to to establish the kingdom of God, to open the doors of heaven to all the nations, something that had been given as a promise to, uh, to Abraham many, many years ago, but it never happened well. Jesus was going to break those doors down. And so, but to do it, he was dependent on the Father. Then you see in verse 20, the son is loved by the father. This was not a master-slave relationship. This wasn't an employer employee relationship. This was a father-son relationship of the most intimate kind. I know many of you have never had that experience. I had that with my father. Just a very deep intimate relationship. Loved my dad. He loved me. He was my number one cheerleader. I viewed him as my number one mentor. And it was great to work with him. Listen to what Jesus says here for the father loves the son and shows him all he does yes he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed this intimate relationship Jesus is establishing to these these Jewish leaders who are hating him persecuting him for saying he was God now he's establishing that's the truth I can't do anything without the father the father loves me intimately in verse 23 he says uh, the son is is um, energized by the father for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life even so the son gives life to whomever he's pleased to give it you see he's establishing this intimate uh, father son relationship he goes on to talks in verse 23 uh, 22 and, and then on to uh In verse 24 later towards the end that the son is entrusted with the power of judgment he's establishing he's talking to these religious leaders who are very angry at him for suggesting he and the father are one this is the truth we have this intimate relationship and here's the bottom line he says if you understand that if you actually accept that that what I say and what the father has told me to say If you put your faith in my words and the Father who sent me, you will cross the line, become a member of this new kingdom that's being established. Do you understand that? And that's same true today, my friends. I don't know where you're on your spiritual journey, but this is what it takes to become a member of the family of God. It's not about keeping rules and regulations. It's not about trying to make yourself better. It's not about getting baptized, joining a church, giving money, being a nice neighbor, being the best employee. It's none of that. That should all flow from it. But what it's about is believing the words of Jesus and believing that the Father sent him, that they are intimately related. And when I do that, I cross this line from being member of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom that was set up back in the garden of Eden against God, you become a member of God's kingdom. I don't know where you are but that's the question for today. Now here's the problem to Jesus, okay? Jesus is saying all this, and, and by the way, he says it's not something that happens in the future, the way it's stated in the text, it happens immediately and permanently. You have everlasting life, and it's a kind of life that's permanent. So this is the promise of Jesus to those standing there. But they were saying, oh yeah, yeah, we've heard all this before, there's other rabbis saying stuff like this, And um, you know Jesus we have something in our culture that's called authenticity when a person is charged with a crime he cannot defend himself in a court he cannot give testimony for himself all your testimony is you talking so why in the world should we believe you why Jesus why would we believe you you're just talking anybody could say those things and so then Jesus, in the last part of this passage, this is beautiful. Oops, sorry, I forgot. We'll just carry on. Jesus said, faith in me makes sense because there's all kinds of testimony. All kinds of testimony. And so Jesus gives five testimonies that establish that what he is saying is incorrect. And if you're here this morning, or you're listening online, or you're in the other room, And you're wondering, can I really trust the words of Jesus? When he says, put your faith in my words and in my father and you will become a member of our kingdom. You will cross the line. Can I really believe that? The foundational issue is, is Jesus who he says he is? Is Jesus really God? Can he say these things? Only God can give people eternal life. Amen? Only God. So how do I know? So then John in his epistle here uh, records five testimonies that Jesus gives to the fact of who he is and the first he says is the father the father himself says that look what he says in verse 32 and, uh, and then in 37, 38 but let's just stick with 32 Well, let's start at 31 if I testify about myself my testimony's not true you see that's the point I can't testify about myself because you can say it's not true you're just, state, you're just blowing smoke But he says there is another who testifies in my favor I know that his testimony about me is true so the people there would have had especially the religious leaders would have had some awareness of the fact that when Jesus was baptized there was a voice came from heaven remember that a voice came from heaven said this is my beloved son Son, hear him at the transfiguration of Jesus I'm sure the report by Peter and John had gone forth that when we were on that mountain and Jesus would change into this amazing, brilliant kind of person, we were standing there and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son, hear him. And that's what Jesus was referring to when he said, the father has testified about me. Twice he has said that. Later on in the story, it's not recorded here in John, Later on the story, in, uh, in uh, sorry, let me just find that in uh, Luke sorry here, <laughs> I can't find my notes here. Uh, in John 12:28, in John 12:28, same thing happened again. The voice from heaven, they heard it. The people heard it, It was at a feast. So here's God establishing, "I am the Father of Jesus. We're one." I am pleased with him. So that was the first testimony. The second one was John the Baptist himself. Uh, in this passage, Jesus says to them, you've sent, you've sent people down to talk to John. You have sent to John, this is in verse 33, and he has testi- testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light And you chose for a time to enjoy the light. John came in order to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And people flocked to him. He preached repentance. People were baptized. And in that whole context, John had a standing. People thought he was truly a prophet of God. Now Jesus says, talk to John. You've gone and checked with John. John says I'm the real thing. In fact, John said... Look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's a prophet from God. You believe John's a prophet. And that's what he says about me. Why are you doubting my words? That's what Jesus is saying. Why Jesus? Why would you believe Jesus? Because they're testimonies. Well there's two more at least. Look at the next one. Three more. Jesus' miracles. He had just performed one there, right? Had they ever seen a man lame for 38 years stand up and walk and carry they'd never seen that but John in his gospel he loves the number seven so there's the seven I am's of Jesus seven statements he made but there's the seven miracles that Jesus records John records all these miracles to establish that Jesus was God Jesus and the father were one they were in this together You could trust Jesus. He was the Messiah as he claimed to be. What was one of the testimonies? Look at the miracles he's done. No one could do these. You remember the miracles? Like turning water into wine in John 2. And uh, healing the official, the Roman official's son in John 4. And healing the layman there in John 5. And feeding the multitude, the 5,000 in the next chapter, 6. Walking on the water in John 6 healing the blind man in John 9, and raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Now we know the Gospel of John was written after Jesus had lived. But some of those miracles had already happened by the time Jesus was talking to these religious leaders. I want to ask you a question. Are you having doubts as to who Jesus is? If that's not enough, then he says take a look in the Scriptures look at the scriptures he says right from the beginning right from the beginning you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life and that was true right the words of scripture had eternal life in them but then look what he says these scriptures are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me in Luke chapter 24 verse 14 as the two men were walking with Jesus they didn't know it was Jesus on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection remember that and the Bible says that Jesus opened the scriptures beginning with the law the writings and the prophets that's the three parts of the Old Testament and Jesus showed them how they spoke about him And so here's these religious men that had made the intimate study of scripture their primary role in life. Study it. They read it. They studied it. They talked about it. And yet they missed Jesus. You can come to this church every Sunday. You can read your Bible. You can, but if you aren't open to what is being shared here. This is the life of Jesus being shared. You can miss it all. So that was the fourth testimony. If that wasn't... Then he pulls out the trump card and says, even Moses talks about me. Moses testifies to me. Now, I'll I'll let you do that homework on your own. You can look through the five books of Moses and see where he testified. It's all built into the, the, uh, the feasts, the sacrifices, all that system. Talk to the people about this was pointing to a coming Savior, a Redeemer, So here are the testimonies. So here's my question as we close. What's your testimony about Jesus? What's your testimony? Why Jesus? Why would you actually embrace him in such a way that it changes your life? And the way you live out there in the world 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, people are startled because they see an intimate connection with God in your life. Why? It's because Jesus breaks through all the religious fog. He breaks through all the religious rules and he says I'll bring you salvation. I'll free you. I'll give you liberty. And I want to ask you that question today. Have you crossed the line from death to life? You ever had a point in your life where you know you were going away from the Father you were rebelling against God and then you had this intimate very real encounter with God through Jesus, through the scriptures, through whatever you had that intimate connection and you realize this is God's son speaking to me and he says if I will believe in him and believe in the father I will have everlasting life I won't come into condemnation I have passed from death to life what's your testimony? I can tell you my testimony very simply In the words of an old hymn we used to sing. Once I was blind, but now I see. The light of the world is Jesus. Have you let that light penetrate in your life? And why would you do that? Because Jesus is God and he invites you to do this. So where are you in your journey? have you even made the initial decision to become a follower of Jesus are you making that daily decision of dying to self so you actually can live for Jesus where are you in your journey I'm going to invite you this morning to make a decision if you've never trusted Jesus before in your life if there's no time that you can say I know that's when I crossed the line so to speak my life changed My direction changed. My eternal destiny changed. I understand. I've been blinded by all this religious stuff all these years. But now I can see. If that hasn't happened, you can do it right now. As I close, I'm going to pray a prayer. You can pray that with me. And afterwards, if you've prayed it, come down front, talk to me, talk to one of the other people here. And that can be your journey. But for those of you who claim You have crossed the line. Here's my question. Is it still making a difference in your life? You see, it's not a fire escape from hell. It's not I make a decision then I can live as I please. It's a decision that leads to a daily recognition that I need to be committed to Jesus to be a follower. Are you doing that? I love the theme of your, it's over here. We'll close with this. this is the verse I want to sorry God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's what I'm talking have you ever done that and I was going to say I love that final slide are you all for Jesus where are you in your journey let's pray father it's a very simple story you wanted people to realize it's not about religious rules it's about a person your son Jesus he's the one that makes all the difference God I pray that we would understand that if you have never made a decision before just pray with me this prayer dear Jesus I understand you are you are who you say you are you are God's son you came to save people like me right now I repent of my sin. I turn in faith to you, the Son of God, who died for me. I embrace it by faith. I receive it as a gift from you. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. May God help us as we live for Jesus every day of our lives.
2: I don't know where you're at this morning. My heart has been touched. God has called us to freedom to be released of the burdens and the things that so many of us carry. And we've heard it in song, we've heard it in prayers this morning, we've heard it in a story, we've heard it from your word, that freedom is possible for you and for me. What is it that's burdening you? What's holding you back from just accepting what Jesus has given to us? the free gift that he has offered to you and to me that can release those burdens, whatever it is. Could today be the day that we get rid of that sin burden by entering into his salvation? Could today be the day when we get away from from burdens of, of things that trouble us in relationships and elsewhere? We need his help. But ultimately, it's the same answer as Marvin took us, as the, as the word of God took us to this morning, do we believe Jesus? Will we enter into that trust relationship and give it all to him? Not a piece of it, not just some of it, all. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Father, we come to you now. You've been here with us. Thank you for your spirit who teaches us and guides us and convicts us. May we not be hard. May we not say that I don't need to know. May instead we humbly accept, gratefully accept that your word is true today and that Jesus is someone that we can put all of our trust, all of our faith into. And Lord, as we do Take those burdens from us. May we reach out to friends around us. May people pray with us. May we confess what we need to confess. And Lord, we pray that you would remove burdens, take these weights off. And as we've been singing, enjoying the love and the grace of Jesus. And may we not keep this good message to ourselves, but spread it amongst our family, spread it in our community. We have much to be thankful for this morning. Thank you, Jesus, and may we all answer the question, why Jesus, today and this week. Amen. Thank you for being here. The service is now done, but the seed that was spread and put into your hearts, of the soil of your hearts, that work is not done. May we give opportunity for the Spirit of God to move in our hearts this week. Let's prioritize that. Thank you for being here. Have a good week.